0: Mary, did you know the most profound, poignant, the most relevant and significant question ever asked of Christmas? Not just, Mary, did you know, but do you know? I mean, do you really and truly know what this Christmas thing is all about now there are a lot of questions that we ask around Christmas that aren't nearly as profound what do you want for Christmas that's a great answer for Christmas whatever the question is that's the right answer good job that's our latest teacher in LHC kids but there are a lot of less profound questions that we ask around Christmas what do you want for Christmas What are we having for Christmas? Are we having Christmas this year? Are we gonna do like a a curbside Christmas with the grandparents maybe? What in the world does Christmas look like in a global pandemic? On and on and on the questions go. But do you know, do you really know, this is the question of Christmas? Now, before we take this question up in this service, I want us to kind of work into it a little bit. So I'm going to ask you a very how's-the-weather superficial Christmas question. I want you to think about the greatest gift that you have gotten, not even of all time, just maybe in the last two or three years. I want you to kind of just think back in recent memory, what is the best gift that you have received over the last few Christmases. Now, I was going to tell you about my greatest Christmas gift lately, the greatest gift that Julie and I together have received, but I think instead of telling you, I would rather show you. So, I want you to think about your answer. If you need to talk about it with somebody that you're sitting next to, feel free. But I wanted to show you the greatest Christmas gift maybe that Julie and I have ever gotten. This is Gus. Say hi, Gus. Say, everybody say hi to Gus. He's doing so good, Sit. That's a good one. Gus is just over a year old. We got him last year just before Christmas, and there are a couple of reasons why Gus is the greatest Christmas gift that Julie and I have ever received. Come here, bud. Come here. He gets a little distracted up here. Last night in the services he saw Julie sitting down here in the front row almost jumped off the stage I understand that I have to fight that same temptation (laughs) but The reason Gus is the greatest Christmas gift is because of who he is and Because of where we are and what I mean by that is this Gus is a phenomenal dog of all of the dogs that we have ever had He has the sweetest temperament and spirit. He is just 58.2 pounds of absolute love. He's unbelievable. Now, what's funny is when it comes time to work, comes time to retrieve, he absolutely loses his mind in a very obedient and controlled manner. He will run all day long. He's unbelievable. But that's the first reason is because of who he is. The second reason that he was perfect as a Christmas gift is because of where we are. You see, we got Gus in our home right around the time that Julie and I were in the process of emptying our nest. Our last kids were leaving school, leaving home, leaving the payroll. (laughs) And so when Gus came along, all of the time, all of the energy, all of the attention, all of the money that we had been allocating to kids, now goes to Gus. Let me tell you what, you should have as good a life as Gus has. Gus has got a good gig, and it's for those two reasons, because of who he is and because of where we are, that he is such a phenomenal Christmas gift. Now, I'm going to take Gus off stage here real quick and let him go back to his uh, green room back there, the co-stars. Thank you so much, Kaylee. I think that Gus being the answer to that superficial how's the weather Christmas question actually, in a a great way, brings us back to the most profound and poignant, relevant, and significant Christmas question. Because when you think about Christmas, the arrival of God in human form, in in, in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, you understand that Jesus... Is the perfect Christmas gift because of who he is and because of where we are. It's because of who he is and because of where we are that Christ is the perfect Christmas gift. Now, when the songwriter wrote those lyrics, Mary, did you know? We know from Scripture that Mary did, in fact, already know a good bit about the child who would be her son, who would ultimately be her Savior and the Savior of the entire world. We know that an angel named Gabriel had visited Mary and told her that she would bear a son, that he would be the Son of God, that his name would be Jesus. In the original Hebrew language, his name is Yeshua, one who saves So she knew a lot about him. But there was another conversation that happened in Mary's life just a few days after Jesus' birth. It's recorded for us in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus has been on earth as a human being, as a baby, for about eight days. Now in the Jewish tradition, their sons are presented at the temple for dedication at eight days old. And the Bible says that there in Jerusalem, close to the temple, there lived an old, old man by the name of Simeon. Everybody say Simeon. Simeon. Simeon was an old man who was incredibly faithful. He had been waiting, he had been watching faithfully, prayerfully, actively, anticipating the arrival of the Messiah, the promised king from Israel. And God had told Simeon that he would actually live to see the arrival of the Messiah, the Messiah that Israel had been waiting for for centuries. And it just so happened that on the day Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to be dedicated and circumcised, the Spirit of God led Simeon to the temple on that same day. And there at the temple, Simeon laid eyes on the Son of God, the promised Messiah and when he did he began to do exactly what the shepherds had done They began worshiping and praising him, but then Simeon took it a step further and he began to prophesy Over the life of Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Here's what the Bible says Simeon said to the parents of Jesus verse 35 in Luke chapter 2 verse 34 excuse me then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary the baby's mother This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, We know, with the benefit of hindsight, that Simeon here, around the birth of Jesus, around that first Christmas season, Simeon was already referencing Easter, when he said that a sword will pierce your soul. We know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in fact there at the crucifixion, at the first Easter. And Simeon understood at a soul-deep level that it's actually because of Easter It's actually because of the cross that the manger even matters. And so he was speaking into that reality over the life of Jesus, over the life of Mary. But there's something even more spiritual, more subterranean going on in Simeon's prophecy, in his speaking of truth over Jesus' life. He, He says that, the thoughts and minds of many will be revealed. He says a sword will pierce your very soul, which actually predates another passage of Scripture that's found in the book of Hebrews, chapter four. If you read the Bible, and you know, we encourage you to read the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible, every page, points us to the person of Jesus. And there is this incredible, undeniable, unbreakable bond between Jesus, the Son of God, and Scripture, the Word of God. Look at what Hebrews chapter 4 says. It says, now the Word of God, the Bible, is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Doesn't that sound a lot like what Simeon said about Jesus? That, that Jesus would reveal the thoughts and mind, the intentions of the heart of many, and that there's a lot going on there but also that a sword will pierce your soul, that the word of God goes to the soul of who we are. I think that's probably why a lot of times in my life, and I know a lot of times in other people's lives, we try to discount the Bible. Have you ever tried to do that? Like like you read something in Scripture, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to believe that. Because there, there are parts of the Bible that, you know, that are not convenient, there are parts of the Bible that a lot of times we kind of like don't like to obey and do what it says, but I think every time we push back against that, what we're really pushing back against is the authority of God, and we're missing the point that this book is a love letter to every single one of us. God has given us the Bible as a gift, as as an expression of his love so that we understand how to live this life that he's given us to the fullest, to experience everything that he's created us for. And it's against that backdrop that he gives us Jesus. You see, how much more is it true that the Son of God is the perfect gift than it is even the Word of God? But there's this incredible link. As you look at John's narrative of Jesus's life the gospel of John the fourth book of the New Testament When he begins to introduce the narrative he uses an interesting word to describe Jesus. He said in the beginning Was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he's talking about Jesus and he calls Jesus the word Because Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the embodiment of every single word in the Bible And so it's against that backdrop that we start to understand what Simeon is saying, that that Jesus actually is the perfect gift because of who he is. Because of who he is as the fact that as the Son of God, he is willing and able to be our Savior. He is willing and able to be your Savior. Savior. We know that he was willing because he did it. He went to the cross. He hung on that cross and was executed for crimes he never committed. And as the Son of God, keep this in mind, he could have commanded a legion of angels to come from heaven and rescue him from the cross and take him back to his rightful place. But he didn't do that. He took The penalty for my sin the penalty for your sin and he paid the price for it there on the cross he was willing to do that he was also able to do that because he is God God the Son he is able he has the authority to forgive your sin to forgive my sin he's got the authority to say it is finished He has the authority to lay down his life and to pick it back up again. This is who he is. He was willing and he is able. This is why Jesus is the perfect gift of Christmas. Because of who he is, but also, don't forget, because of where we are. Because of the fact that we need a Savior. You and I All God's children are in need of a savior. Romans chapter three says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and we miss the ideal that God created us for. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been lost? I mean like, like really and truly lost. If you've been lost before, just raise your hand. Look. It'd be fascinating to know how many men did not raise their hands just then. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I was six years old. I was growing up in Houston, but we had gone to Beaumont to visit my grandparents. And like I said, I was six years old, so this was a minute ago. And Beaumont had just gotten their first shopping mall, Parkdale Mall in Beaumont, Texas. And we all loaded up in the car, my mom, my brothers, my grandmother, my aunt and cousins. And we went to the mall. It was like the Clampets. And I'll never forget, we were in one of the department stores. It might have been, does anybody remember Foley's? How many of y'all remember Foley's? It's what became Dillard's. Yeah, anyway, we were there either in Foley's or, or JCPenney or one of these, you know, high-end stores. And we were there between, my mom was shopping and I was I was, just messing around with my brothers because I wanted to. And no, no, no six-year-old boy wants to go shopping. And I remember messing around and hiding, playing hide-and-go-seek between the rounders and the racks of clothes and I came around this one corner expecting to find my brother and he wasn't there. And I looked around there, he wasn't there. And I started to look for my mom and she wasn't there. And even at six years old, a boy does not want to ask directions. But I started to get a little bit nervous because I didn't see anybody that I knew or anybody that knew me. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't panicking per se, but I was like, Mom? Nothing. So now I'm kind of starting to think about getting ready to panic. And I go, Mom? Nothing. So now I go into full panic mode, but I can't show it, so I'm trying not to cry. Do you remember that feeling of trying not to cry? Like and it's even more pitiful. Look. Oh. So I started walking a little faster, and I turned around the corner and there was a security guard there in the mall. And I said, "Sir, I can't find my mom." And he goes, Well, partner, you come along. And he takes me by the hand, and we start to go to the security guard office or whatever. And we turn this one corner, and there's my mom. Now, as a parent, I I don't know, I, I think this happens to all parents. How many parents have misplaced your children before? Have you done that before? We've done that. Julie and I, one time, right after Joseph was born, we loaded Emily up in the car and were out of the driveway before we said, Where's the baby? It happens. And I saw my mom, she was panicked. I saw the relief, but then she did what every parent who has ever misplaced a child does. You, you, you're, you're scared when you can't find all of your kids, but then when you find them again, you're mad at the kids. That's exactly, I saw my mom in a split second go from relief to rage. Where did you go? I can't believe, because now it's, you know, now it's about whether or not she was paying attention to me. But what happened? I took my eyes off my mom. I got distracted. And when I took my eyes off of my mom, when I got distracted, I got lost. It is exactly what happens in every one of our lives. When we take our eyes off of our heavenly father, we get lost. We get distracted. And the reality is that we are born into this condition. By virtue of the fact that we come into the human condition, we are born lost. We have inherited this spiritual DNA of sin. It really is a, it's like a a mutation in our spiritual DNA. It is the law of unnatural selection. When we choose to rebel against God against his authority, against his sovereignty, and against his goodness and his provision and his protection and his love. That's where we are. And that again points us back to the fact that Jesus is the perfect Christmas gift. Now, I don't know where you are on this Christmas Eve, but I do know that if we left the message here, if we just went, let's sing Silent Night and call it a day, that right now we are at the point of information. And information is important. What you know, what you believe really does matter because that determines how you behave and what you do. But this, this Christian thing, It's not just about what you know. It's not just about information. It's actually intended to be about application, about putting it into practice, putting it out into the world through your life. We said at the very beginning, Mary, did you know? Mac, do you know? Julie? Bill, Betsy, Cole, Caitlin, Jake, Jesse, I, I don't know, but do you know Jesus? You see, Jesus himself brought this into a laser-like focus. He, he really helps us kind of strip away all of the man-made religiosity, all of the layers that have been added to it over the years because we think we can do better. Jesus said, no, 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 th- this is about Relationship. This is about knowing, not just knowing about him, but knowing him. And it's not surprising that the place where he made it the clearest was just before he went to the cross. In John chapter 17. In John 17, Jesus is praying for you and for me. He's praying for his disciples and apostles and all those who would follow after them. And in this prayer, he brings it down to to where we can grab hold of the root of this thing. Look at John 17, 3. In John 17, 3, he said, and this is the way. This is the way to have eternal life. To know you. You the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? This is it. If if you want to know how to have eternal life, you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that's it. To know him. To know him. And, And the word to know there. Is is the same word that the Bible uses a lot of times to describe the relationship between a husband and a wife That a husband and a wife know each other they become one they become united one mind one heart one body one spirit Because they they have this Relationship they have this commitment to one another and this is what Jesus became a human being for. In John chapter one, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh. This is the incarnation. This is God stepping down from heaven with a baby in his arms, inviting you and inviting me into a relationship. It's where we move from knowing about God to knowing God. It's where we choose to know him intimately and not just intellectually. To know him personally and not just philosophically. To know him relationally and not just religiously. It's about knowing him it's about knowing him I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment and in this moment I want to take you back not to a superficial question of Christmas but to the most profound question there is And the question is this, what is the most profound, perfect gift that you could give God? We already know that he's given us the best there is. He gave us his son, Jesus. But what's the best gift you could give to God? The answer might surprise you. The best gift you can give God is you. It's you. He created you by design, on purpose, for a purpose, because he loves you. And he invites you, like he's invited me, into a relationship. I wonder if this Christmas might not be your moment, your moment to give yourself to God, to commit your life to him. If that's you, You may be in the room. You may be watching online. But in this moment, as a church family, we want to give you the opportunity to give that gift to God, just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment. Just silently talk to God and say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. And so I confess my sin holding nothing back in order to receive your grace and your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me in my place. And I believe that you rose again from the dead and I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. Just for a moment, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, because this is This is sacred ground, when God is moving in somebody's life. But if that was your prayer, then I want you to know, as a church, we want to help with what comes next, because this is just the beginning. Earlier in our service, we talked about the Connect card. It's a a tool that's available on our website and on our app, however you can get there. But I want to ask you, if you just prayed that prayer of commitment, that prayer of beginning, make the time to let us know that God did that in your life. Make the time to allow us the privilege to come alongside and just start a conversation that will proceed at whatever pace works for you. The second thing, as our heads are bowed, would you just raise your hand? Just, if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand and hold it up high for a second as a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And know that we honor that, we celebrate that with you. And our family tradition around here is that you can put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.